Greetings, cyberspace, and welcome to episode 56 of the Double Density Podcast with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. Double Density, home to a perfect mix of tech tales and paranormal primers. So first things first, Angelo, what did you think of that new intro? <laughs> I was not expecting that, actually, so uh, I don't know what to think. It's something I whipped up while procrastinating. Mm, good for you. Deal with <laughs> it. Yeah. I feel like it's like a thesis statement when people listen to your podcast. You know, you got to get that out within the first, like, 15 seconds of what we're all about. The elevator pitch. Exactly, yeah. Like Sonic the Hedgehog and Cheese. Like, that is my ideal living style. Not really. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how those correlate, but uh, yeah. Welcome to Mysteries of the Universe with your hosts, Brian and Angelo. Yeah, uh, <laughs> new show. The title, New Attitude. Shifting forward from uh, me making things up to things that are actually factually cool, you uh, wanted to lead things off tonight by talking about um, something that I'm well-versed in and you seem to have an interest in, which is video game speedrunning. I came across a video on kotki.org, which is a website I go to pretty often, actually. I check it pretty much every day, and he, Jason Kotki, always has some interesting stuff, and he posted this video, which is from March, I think, so it's a little bit older, because the record we're going to talk about got beat in February, but it's a Super Mario Brothers speedrun, but explained, because right. these things are way more complicated than I had any idea they were. So the study of frame rates, right? So the idea of how, uh, so when you break video games down, it's, it's per frame, right? Okay. For sure. Speed runs count time, but saving frames as uh speedrunner says is essential. Yeah. Well, I've learned this now because it's insane how close these records are to each other. It really, I mean, it comes down to milliseconds, right? Which are, are equal to frames, right? So, um, I will link uh, to another video in the show notes um, by Summoning Salt, who uh, does a lot of these videos uh, that are like um, a world uh, record progressions for different video games. So he started with Mike Tyson's Punch-Out because he speedruns Punch-Out and then he does Super Mario and he does Metroid for the NES and et cetera, et cetera. And he kind of goes through the back and forth of uh, how it occurs. But the interesting thing about the video you link to is the how um, the mechanics of speedrunning actually work. And like you were saying before, like saving frame rates and glitches are a huge um, part of uh, how to achieve a world record in a video game and a lot of these different, um, very uh, competitive uh, video games. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of terminology there as well. Uh, one example is that towards the end of the video, uh, Cosmic is his name, I believe. Yeah. Um, he's the one who got the world record. Towards the end, he seems to get upset and yells out frame lag or something like that. And what is he talking about? And then the video, who's it by, Brian? So the YouTuber's name is Bismuth. And he broke down this record by Cosmic. And he explained the terminology that he used. And there's a lot of interesting stuff. For example, when he first starts the game, he delays himself for a reason. Then he says, oh, this will be explained later. And it's pretty much almost towards the end where you understand that he waited because that causes a certain bullet bill to come out at a specific time to save a few frames. And you'd think, eh, a few frames, who cares? But he beat the record by 65 milliseconds. Right. I mean, saving frame rates is life or death when it comes to speed running. So people, um, so for example, one of my favorite uh, Twitch streamers is Arcus 87 and he uh, holds the world record for Ninja Gaiden on the NES. And uh, he worked like six months to get down like a second, like from 1144 to 1143, I believe, or something like that. Right. So people grind on this for uh, days and weeks at a time, eight hours a day, especially um, those uh, who primarily do this on Twitch for a living. And you get to watch these people slowly but surely progress uh, through um, not only uh, their own personal bests, PBs, but also like world record bests. 
And uh, Ninja Gaiden, that's no joke. I remember not even being able to pass a certain part because a stupid bird kept hitting me when I tried to jump over a ledge. So uh, it's a lifestyle problem for you. Have you ever gone back and tried to beat it? I have not played Ninja Gaiden in a few months, I guess. I, I, there was no way I was going to try and beat it. I have it on the, uh, the, the RetroPie, but there's no way I'm going to go back and try and beat that. Why not? Because it's like super duper hard. Oh, all right. Well, you know, uh, some of us enjoy challenges. Some of us just enjoy living, I guess. Some of us are the first category and some of us are the second category. Um, we'll also link uh, to a video in the show notes uh, to the previous world record holder, Darby, and who um, in the Summoning Sold video, actually, he you see him a bunch come up. And uh, it's uh, Darby's world record from last year versus a, a task, which is a tool-assisted speedrun. So basically, there are these programs where you sit down and you put in inputs into a console and it creates frame-perfect runs that you can manipulate and control in order to see uh, how fast, theoretically, the game can be beaten. And a lot of people use tasks in order to uh, trade themselves to do real world uh, world records and they're saying now that this is becoming as close as possible to what a human can achieve and at the end of the bismuth video he talks about what's left that can be done and there's not much no, I mean, for some of these games, there's really milliseconds left or like frames to shave off. There's nothing more. I mean, some of these um, lesser known games have wide open fields in which that you can go and claim a world record. But some of these are so highly contested, especially Super Mario Brothers, that, um, yeah, just, it, just saving frames is basically all it is at this point. He had a bit of luck at the end as well, because he had to go through Bowser's hammers. And depending on which random pattern came, pattern came out, he would have either gotten hit or not. And he kind of lucked out and ended up beating the game by whatever it was, the 65 milliseconds. And he was actually behind a few frames, according to the thing. And it's it's just startling to me how exciting this seems because whenever you talk about speed run, uh, whenever you talk about speed runs, I, I mean, I understand that you like it and stuff, but I don't get what all the excitement is but then i watched this video and is understanding a little bit more of why you find it so fascinating well it's not just the science it's also the personalities behind it so one of my favorite speedrunners is grand pooh and he um over the last year has picked up super mario brothers 3 for the nes and so watching him grind it out and get a personal best um do you remember super mario uh, brothers 3 at all angelo like yeah, playing it okay so so the biggest um, obstacle to achieving a world record happens in world eight, where on the second board, there's like five blocks with hands. Oh, I vaguely remember that. Yeah. Where they, they drag you down, right? So yes, you can yes, go yes. from zero to three hands. So a zero hand is almost impossible to get, but happens once in a while. And that is the key to an excellent uh, world record contending speed run for Super Mario Brothers 3. And you know, it comes down to like, who cares about worlds one through seven? It's really about world eight. Well, that's frustrating, though, that you can get through there so well and then get stuck because of a random occurrence. Oh, I've, well, I've seen people like uh, like reset basically at that point if they've hit three hands because it's not even worth it at that point because they are seconds, dozens of seconds behind. It's insane. I, I remember playing Super Mario Bros. 3 the first time we had rented the Japanese version. It even came with a funny uh, connector to actually put it in the regular old North American uh, NES and uh it was amazing playing that game and then we got the american version the north american version and it was easier because in the japanese version whenever you touched something let's say you were even fire flower mario if you touched a shell or whatever you went back to small mario with the normal north american version you just reverted back to super mario all that to say some games are very easy to pick up and some very very hard to master especially if you want a world record right angelo well 
just saying Ninja Gaiden frightened me because that is a hard game. And I threw one too many controllers because of it. If any of our listeners are actually interested in speedrunning or, you know, if you currently do it, we'd love to hear uh, from you. You can go ahead and tweet it as double underscore density, facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing with Instagram and head over to double density.net and click on the contact button. We want to hear from you. We want to know, are you speedrunning? Are you a fan of speedrunning? What do you watch? What do you hate? Are you uh, out there grinding and saving frames as much as possible? Uh, all of that and the above we'd love to hear about, right? Of course. Anybody who's uh, poning games uh, at the molecular level with frames, I'm happy to hear about it. I think this is the first time I've heard the word pwn in, oh, years. Thank you for that uh, jog up memory lane. A uh, little haunting, but that's okay. So let's move from pixelated trolls to real life trolls. Are you ready for this? I am. Uh, so the Electronic Frontier Foundation uh, is now claiming a victory over the use of the word podcasting. Angelo, have you read about this? I figure you have because it's in the show notes, but I'm hoping that we can discuss a bit about patent trolls and uh, how uh, unfortunate and harmful they can be to any ecosystem. Well, I heard about this a long time ago. So five years ago when it first started in 2013, where uh, major podcasters like Adam Carolla, Mark Marin were getting um, sort of I guess sued is the right word or they yeah, were sued, being yeah. uh, were they getting sued yeah, and, yeah for patent infringement and they were being asked to pay royalties to this company and it's one of those uh, patent trolls basically they have empty offices in a building in Texas that amount to just being there so that they can sue other people and make money off some random patent that they own and this patent was really weird. I remember them talking about how it's essentially comes down to almost uh, distributing stories and things through audio, but even like on cassette tapes or something. Right. And so they're claiming ownership. Uh, so this troll patent, uh, patent trolls claiming ownership over uh, the very dissemination method by which podcasts happen. And so it wasn't terribly difficult for the EFF to find um, existing circumstances that uh, were created before um, this troll decided to file. Right. So the idea is if you can find a lot of evidence that points towards this existing um, sort of like in the free world uh, domainless, uh, then it invalidates the patent claim a lot of the time. Exactly. And the whole nice thing about podcasting is was it it was so free and democratizing and then these um these trolls come along and try to take it away from everybody and just try to make a buck uh well more than a buck but they they just try to make money off people's work that they have no business doing yeah, you're right with that. I mean, the patent, if you were to define it right, is a government authority or license conferring a right or title for a set period, especially the sole right to exclude others from making, using, or selling an invention. I think invention's the the keyword there, right? Like a new method of coming up with something or disseminating something. And in this case, it's, you know, uh, audio content of a uh, non-musical quality. Yeah, and they were really trying to, um, I guess the, the the word I want to use is shake down major podcast players that were making a lot of money from podcasting and just trying to take it away. I, I know Adam Carolla actually settled out of court with them uh, with an undisclosed amount, but it, it was a problem for a lot of people. And a lot of these, uh, let's just say podcasting is not like a rich man's game. Uh, people are making money from podcasting, but um, only a select few are actually making a lot of money from it. People are People are making a decent career out of it making a living, that's great, but uh, nobody's making uh, millions upon millions of dollars from it. Especially not us here at double underscore density on Twitter. If you want to go ahead and offer us any sort of ad services, please, the door is always open. I figure <laughs> why not? Shameless, shameless plug for double yeah. density. Sure, why not? You like money. I like money, right? We live in a capitalist system. 
I've always told you I do this podcast for fun, but if uh, ever our minimal hosting fees were paid, I'd be happy. Is anyone out there a member of 123flowers.com or could put us in a position whereby we would get sponsored for ads for 123flowers.com in particular? That would be cool. I don't know why. Well, you need uh, flowers for your upcoming wedding eventually, so there we go. All right, my eventual nuptials, as we like to call them around the apartment. Double density. So let's get away from the troll domain a bit. And, well, no, that's not true at all, because I guess our next story has to do um, with a different type of troll. So we touched on pixelated trolls. We touched on patent trolls. Now I want to talk about actual troll-like beings. And by that, I mean those terrifying Boston Dynamics robots. Anytime I see them, I think back to our episode about how AI takes over and kills us all. And, uh, yeah, they're the thing with them is they're so alien-like the way they yeah, move they yeah. try to be human it's like that weird uncanny valley thing where the movement is so smooth but also frightening at the same time especially seeing those dogs go up and down the stairs so quickly that they can chase you and easily kill you if they decide to right so the the dog-like ones are the what are the, they're the spot, spot minis i think yeah exactly yeah. the spot mini is climbing up and down the stairs and there's also um if you head over atlas. into the show notes there's a yeah alice there's a link to a verge article that shows videos for both the spot mini and the uh more human-like atlas running around terrifying me yeah it looks like it'd catch you if it runs and then if you put a log in front of it it'll easily jump over it as well it's like the most terrifying game of of hide and seek or tag that you could ever play with yourself right yeah, I would not want to play tag with this guy because uh, those hydraulics on the arms and legs look like they could snap somebody's bones without trouble. What I want to really want to see is a cottage industry of people using, because um, you can order these now, right? That's the idea is that they're becoming commercially available. Oh, great. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I, I would love to uh, be able to see a cottage industry of people who are making um, sports montages with inspirational music while they make their atlases do things. I'd like to see a mix of... Uh, atlas and google duplex so it'll be chasing you but uh talking to you with a human-like voice and saying hi um do you have a spot for me to kill you at 12 30 um yeah, yeah. Like predicated murder predicted murder sequenced yeah. murder yeah as you know the more i think about that uh, google duplex the more it freaks me out uh, and people have been talking about it and just the thought of it being mixed with a real weird giant robot chasing you frightens me even more so it's just one more thing to worry about in your everyday life right apart from like cars uh nuclear holocaust uh men with guns uh car bombs now we got robot bombs uh robots like dogs dogs shooting fire fire breathing robots yeah that covers about the everything i need to worry about thanks brian what is like the biggest thing you worry about on like a global scale um death from above so like an asteroid hitting us which an asteroid a couple of hours ago uh, pass between the moon and the earth apparently so an asteroid actually has done this like recently yeah i sent you a link on twitter i think i don't know if you saw it but I, I don't 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 send me things on twitter i don't believe anything i see on twitter oh sorry well uh yeah uh, and anyway i think we're fine we didn't die unless this is all a sort of other simulation since the world exploded <laughs> which is something that is recurring in our, a lot of our discussions, right? We recently recorded a new edition of the UFO book club out mid June. And uh, we discussed the idea of living in a simulation. We did. Uh, I know Sam Fredrickson got quite excited about that. It's weird. I don't, like, we'll not dive into this. Maybe we'll say that for a further episode. Cause I have thoughts about uh, how we live in a holographic simulated universe. Elon Musk believes in that too. Right. And I think we've brought that up a couple of times. 
Yeah, don't uh, isn't uh, Richard Hoagland also a, a believer in sort of holograms and hey, stuff, or hey. was that to do with? Uh, we don't talk about the hair. The hair, this is a hair-free show, my friend. We do not talk or mention that name unless specifically talking about Mars. That's it. Okay, sorry. I will no longer bring up his name. <laughs> hair only, my friend. Uh, um, I'm realizing now that the uh, whole theme of our show is trolls, um, because the next item I want to cover uh, has to do with a different kind of troll, and that's the kind of troll that fishes uh, your own teachers. So a California high school, a student uh, managed to successfully fish multiple teachers in order to uh, get his or her uh, grade change along with, I think about a dozen other classmates. And uh, so only afterwards uh, did it catch on and uh, report this to the police and the kid's been charged. And because he's a minor, he's not named, but he is facing 14 felonies for his efforts. Well, what I love is that the school is from the Mount Diablo unified school district, which is pretty funny. Whenever I hear a name like that, I picture like a, a piece of earth breaking open and like a light shining through. Yeah, it's also the Contra Costa County Task Force. That's a great name. Well, apparently they showed up to his house with a canine unit, which I don't understand why you do that when it's a simple teenager with, uh, you know, some computer hacking skills. You got to smell his computer, see if he's put uh, anything in there. Well, apparently they used the canine to sniff out uh, a USB drive from a tissue box that he was hiding. I love that this article didn't take things too seriously because they wrote uh, they, they wrote about the canine unit and they talked about the dog whose name is Doug and is believed to be a good boy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, uh, further along in the story, the student who actually committed this, these uh, or allegedly committed these series of felonies was quoted as saying it was like stealing candy from a baby. So, Angela, I kind of want to ask you, right, 14 felonies, switching all these grades. I'm of the belief that this kid should be let off easy uh, because of the fact that uh, these teachers are supposed to be taught um, how to use computers properly and how to be careful for phishing attempts. But clearly they've fallen for these. Exactly. Next time they should be using a password manager and this kid should get a scholarship to a computer science degree. I agree with that, though I'm not sure if he's just using a toolkit that's readily available. Like, do you remember, you probably don't back in the day, a keylogger by the name of Zero uh, Seven is a program that you could install. And, you know, like that was really uh, the era where um, people started to call other people uh, script kitties because of these like out of the box um, automated processes and programs that allowed you to do uh, things nefariously. I know nothing of that. Oh, well, that was a really easy conversation to have. But I feel like ingenuity <laughs> should be rewarded to a certain degree. I don't necessarily agree that this kid deserves a scholarship. But at the very, very least, I'd say let him off easy. You know, yeah, let him teach the teachers industrious. what Yeah, like he should teach the teachers what to look out for. At least uh, tell them to get like a one password subscription or start using a password manager of some kind. But yeah, I definitely do agree that maybe this kid needs to do some like after school seminars at the very least. At least sit down with the teachers and not, tell them not to ever enter their password in any email. That's that's like email 101 of these days, and people still fall for it. They don't, they don't seem to understand how email works, and uh, that should be part of any education with an employer. Teach your employees how to actually use email properly and not fall for phishing. Yeah, that's right. Good computering, not mediocre or bad computering, such as like I think that we talked about last episode, uh, how you used to have admin access um, on your own work desktop environment. Yeah. Hot bars galore. That was actually almost the title of last week's episode. But we decided to go with uh, something a little uh, closer and nearer to my heart, which is making fun of Alex Jones, which is great for me. Yeah, I was I was totally for the title change. There's a lot of stuff people need to learn about the Internet Internet skills should be like at the top of the list for any employer to teach their employees because 
there's so many security risks. At least teach them, like, give them, like, a short InfoSec course. Yeah, I definitely agree. So is this, like, a double density? Like, is this officially double density PSA here? Yeah, I guess, like, a a half-hearted PSA. I guess I'm sort of fed up of people screwing up their own internet. Well, why don't we just sound the uh, PSA trumpet? So we're going to drop that right in here. We actually don't have a trumpet, so please ignore that. And say, hey, if you're in a position of power, make sure that your employees aren't screwing up by doing whatever they want on a work computer. That's a good plan. Double density. So the Stephen Hawking Foundation has decided to hold a Thanksgiving service on June 15th. So unfortunately, the um, groundbreaking professor died on the 31st of March, in the, um, late March, and there was a funeral for him on the 31st. But the foundation wants to do a, something a little more public um, in order to recognize his efforts. And as such, uh, they've offered to allow people to sign up via public ballot, right? So you can apply via public ballot. And some industrious users have noticed that you can switch your, uh, your birth date all the way up to December 31st, 2038. And I think that this is the most telling part of the BBC article. So the quote, Professor Hawking's foundation said the possibility of time travel had not been disproven and cannot be excluded, end quote. Interesting uh, kind of little fact there, the idea that a man from the future may appear um, at Stephen Hawking's uh, Thanksgiving service. Angelo, do you have any thoughts on that? One of my little pet theories for UFOs and all things that can't be explained is time travelers. Time travel is possible based on science. It seems even more likely than something coming from so far away to visit us. Maybe. Who knows? The thing is, is that we've never actually had proof of a time traveler, but maybe it's because our future selves have put such strong protocols into place that we haven't actually been caught time traveling. Right. So anybody who goes to these things... They could be time travelers. Right. They're just so well set up that we don't even know that they're actually time travelers. So this isn't the first time that uh, Professor Stephen Hawking and his foundation and the notion of time travelers have uh, met uh, head-on or face-to-face, depending on which way you want to see it. In June 2009, Professor Hawking tried to set up a time travel party and sent out invitations to the future, hoping that people would show up. And unfortunately, he was all alone in his efforts, and it kind of bummed him out. Nobody showed up and gave him a big wink? No, exactly. So at the time, Professor Hawking remarked that the fact that no one turned up was, quote, experimental evidence that time travel is not possible, end quote. Angelo, I want to throw an idea to you, and I want you to think about it for a sec, okay? Because I feel like you need to put your thinking cap on for this one, right? I'll put it on. Do you remember the game Dig Dug? Yes. Okay. So picture time as the little Dig Dug character going down into, you know, the ground of the hole, right? As he continues to plow forward, he can also uh, move back, right? But he can't uh, move forward without hitting dirt. So I think I'm trying to make an analogous kind of like um, theory that uh, stating, you know, like this isn't based on scientific fact, obviously, but the idea in which we have to pass through time once in order to look back, you know, Earth moving as sort of like a constant force um, through the time stream means that we're leaving um, artifacts and things uh, left behind. So we can travel backwards and we can travel forwards in theory all the way up until present time. Okay, so we can't really travel in time to make ourselves known. Exactly. So you can only move backwards and move back forwards only uh, to the t- point where like things have like been discovered once. Okay, so nobody can really come da- back to a specific time, sort of? Yeah, well, they can. It's just the idea that, like, so, for example, like, at this moment, right, we'll never live this moment again. But uh, um, moving forward, it's kind of like that Dig Dug pushing through the earth. We haven't been there yet. Are you going to publish this Dig Dug theory of time? Yeah, you'll have to check my Tumblr later, though, and I'm not going to go out the URL till at a future time in order to protect the integrity of the project. The DDTT. 
Yeah, the DD, the TT. Anyways, yeah, as Actually, I said before. that works out really well because it could be the Dig Dug theory of time or the double density theory of time. Oh, that's a very good point. But yeah, I mean, this is not based on any scientific sort of fact. I was just, it's something I was amusing about as I was reading the story, the idea that we can only move forward as much as we've pushed forward through the time stream. It's an interesting theory. I think it's actually been proposed before. It probably hasn't. It probably has like a fancier name than the Dig Dug time theory. It'd be funny if it was like the Mr. Do time theory instead of Dig Dug. <laughs> yeah, I want credits on all the scientific journals, though. Deal with it, world. Yeah. Brian Hasty, time travel expert. So I do think that another thing that we definitely need to worry about is that those Boston Dynamics dogs will figure out how to friggin' time travel, and then we'll be stuck with them in the present. Oh, hi, mini spot. No, please don't kill me. Just just imagine a, like a wormhole rips open through the fabric of space and time and like 30 little dogs breathing fire come at you. The thing is, is that they look less like dogs and more like spiders sometimes with the way they move. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Yeah, that that's the thing that creeps me out about them. Uh, but I mean, like a lot of things creep you out, right? Yeah, yeah. Spiders, dogs, w- wind, children, cats. Wind scares you. Wind is very annoying. Well, you've told me you're scared of wind uh, when you're at home at night. No, I haven't told you that. What happened is that last week when we were recording uh, the UFO Book Club, there was a window open in my house and the basement door, because of the way the, where the way air pressure works, you know, that science stuff, uh, the basement door was rattling and it looked like somebody was trying to come up the stairs. But don't you tell me that you've laid in bed before and you've heard the wind blowing against your house and it was creepy. I feel like we've had this discussion. Yeah, maybe. I just It's not that it's creepy. It's just loud and annoying. Oh, okay. So you're not scared. You're just annoyed. I'm mostly annoyed, not frightened. I feel like I mostly do this podcast in order to learn more about you. Not necessarily to like create content, but just the idea that I, every week I, I pick up a little something about you. Yeah, and it's not like we worked together and saw each other every day for several years. No. We had a no. chance to do that. We had to uh, start doing a podcast over Skype and not see each other. Well, one of the many things I learned about you is that you were uh, uh, very uh, germophobic. I'm really not. I just play that up more than anything. Oh, but fair I'm, I'm really not. I you you do realize I have like two kids that like sneeze in my face, and I've cleaned many a butt. Not a mental image. I was prepared for her at the outset of this podcast, but I'm willing to accept this. And with that, Angelo, I'm moving on to the paranormal section. <laughs> All right. <laughs> See you there. What's up, Ufonauts? It's your UFO guy, Rob Christofferson. Have you ever been curious about the UFO phenomenon, but unsure of where to start? Have you ever wondered about just what crashed at Roswell? Have you ever wanted common sense advice about licking UFOs? The answers don't. Then check out the Our Strange Skies podcast, where we dive into America's rich UFO history and uncover what these sightings say about ourselves. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and most podcast apps, as well as Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Don't forget to look up, because you never know what you'll find in our strange skies. In gray we trust. Welcome back to Double Density, and as always, we are switching gears from tech to the paranormal up first this week. Uh, Because we're, you know, this is just a prevailing theme in this week's episode. uh, Things coming out of the sky and uh, dealing damage to the Earth. In this case, we want to talk about um, some really freaky science news um, out of the Express in the UK. Uh, The... Title of this article is Octopuses Came to Earth from Space as Frozen Eggs Millions of Years Ago. That is a very telling, very frightening reality. Now, is the Express known as a venerable uh, science newspaper? I don't. So I don't think it is, but, but there's enough in here to make me want to believe that this comes from a verifiable series of sources. Okay, good. 
because it's super interesting, <laughs> that's for sure, that uh, because when you look at octopuses, they are really weird looking, right? Right. They change colors. They're, let's say, the most alien-like of actual animals on Earth. And the more I'm looking at the sidebar of this website, the more I'm wondering if anything that's on the site is actually true. Because there's like killer NASA asteroid uh, warning asteroid to fly between Earth and Moon tonight. And um, yeah, so I wonder. Killer robots, uh, aliens found on Jupiter. So I'm not sure about this website, but hey. Are you scared? No. Okay. So what do you think? Do you think octopuses are alien? And, and octopuses is the correct term before anybody tweets at us and says it's octopi. That's actually wrong. We actually went down the double density uh, time tunnel in order to take a look and see uh, the correct way in which to pronounce this. And Angelo is correct. Uh, octopi is erroneous. I'm good at the grammar. <laughs> I'm glad uh, one of us says there. Uh, so the article raises a couple of very interesting questions, right? So um, it's based on some scientific research that they've done and the idea of the number of like genes existing in there and the jump needed to make from like um, other um, uh, forms of life in the area, I guess, at, and during the, the Cambrian period, um, there's like a, a large gap in between the two. Yeah. And, and just a warning before anybody goes to read this article, they totally spoil uh, the movie, The Arrival. They definitely do, unfortunately, yeah. So don't uh, don't go there if you haven't seen that excellent movie, which I highly urge you to watch. So some of the research is saying that like the gap in between the the number of genes and interlocked sort of like um, a complex uh, bonds created uh, in order for an octopus to live um, is vastly superior to other um, beings of of the time, right? So I think that's one of the very um, interesting parts of it. Uh, octopuses have the biggest brain to body ratio, I think, too. They are really smart. And uh, do you remember a few years ago that uh, octopus that was guessing soccer game scores? Oh, for the World Cup, yeah. Yeah. So he was really smart. That's one. One octopus, at least. Yeah. And there's the one in Finding Dory that's super smart. Apparently, octopuses, too, um, learn by viewing and doing. So that's really interesting that they can sort of like um, watch uh, other beings do things and then adapt accordingly. Well, and the fact that they can change color to match their surroundings is very predator-like. And I mean it in the sense of the alien predator that kills people. Are you adding this to your list of like things that you're afraid of? No, because I'm not really in the ocean very much, and they can't really attack me in my house. What if a Boston Dynamics dog like teamed up with an octopus, right? So the octopus is in a water tank, and it's helping the Boston Dynamics dog find you. It's driving the Boston Dynamics dog. We're just building uh, like the the like the Voltron or like the Megazord of like scary things that Angelo doesn't like. And also it's super windy. Let's not think about this. <laughs> let's let's move on to something a little more relatable and uh, down to earth, literally. Well, uh, relatable excuse, is yeah. a stretch. <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll get into that in a sec. But yeah, excuse the pun. Uh, this week you and I want to talk about um, flat earth and conspiracy theory culture. And I know we've touched upon this a number of times, but a recent article um, in Vice Magazine, the UK edition, kind of uh, sparked a new conversation between us. So uh, this guy uh, ends up talking to his mother and she reveals that she actually believes in the flat earth theory. So he decides to go um, to a flat earth convention out in the UK and sort of like documents a lot of what he sees. And, you know, he talks to a number of people about why they believe um, in the flat earth theory, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We'll link to that in the show notes. But I thought it was a really good jumping off point to talk about both um, flat earth as well as conspiracy culture and like why it is so um, prevalent uh, in these times. Yeah, the author of this article, Tom Usher, was supposed to go with his mom to this flat earth convention. Uh, The reason I say supposed is that his poor mom was actually ended up being sick. So he went on his own 
and uh, met a lot of interesting people. And we'll get to it later, but the reason why they thought the Earth was flat uh, is pretty interesting and how they've come across this all very recently. It's not something that they've <laughs> believed for a long time. It's just something that's kind of popped up in their heads uh, because of certain things. Right. Uh, and so if you take a look um, at the Vice article, there's a, a number of uh, really great uh, pictures of a presentation given at the Flat Earth uh, conference that I thought were hilarious. And uh, so we urge you, um, listeners of Double Density, to take a look at that as we talk about this. Yes. Uh, I, we're also going to post an article uh, from Live Science about why people think the earth is flat. And uh, I like that the title is Are Flat Earthers Being Serious? Because for the longest <laughs> time, I thought that this was just people being silly and trying to like troll others. Speaking of trolls, right? We keep, <laughs> that's the main theme tonight. But I always thought it was just people being dumb and not like, and doing it on purpose. Like not just that they're stupid. It's that they're maliciousness were, almost. No, not even just for fun. Like it's almost like, a, a, like a really, really like elaborate uh, Rickroll. Just like with like science, getting science involved. Yeah, getting science involved and completely skewed and wrong. And I mean, that's the thing is that for the longest time too, I think you're alluding to the fact that like the idea of flat earth is like the the butt of a joke almost, right? And, you know, it's it's gained a prominence and um, sort of agency within the last uh, like 24 months, let's say, like two years. Yeah, I would say that. Although in the Live Science article, it's, it's an older article actually originally published in 2012. So it's like a six-year-old article. and there, But it's been updated since. And they talk about a study from March 5th, 2014, where the people who believe Flat Earth are also very likely to believe that like 9-11 was an inside job. The moon landings are fake, obviously, because there's no damn moon if where the Earth is flat. So there... Uh, they have to have been faked. So I think actually, I guess you can't be a flat earther without be a, being a moon landing denier, right? Right. Uh, so first things first, I think we need, and I think we've discussed this before, but let's get the nomenclature proper. What are you and I people who believe that the earth is a sphere? Like, I know that the article refers to us as globe earthers, but I prefer um, big sphere, uh, you know, oh, a sphere, sphere truther. Yes. Yeah. Um, either or I'm I'm comfortable with. Uh, Sphericals? Yeah, Sphericals is a good one, too. Um, I think there's like no shortage of names that we can definitely uh, call ourselves. But yeah, uh, the idea is that the Earth is flat and we're surrounded by walls of ice, right? Like, like that's the most like popular theory. Yes, and the PowerPoint that he takes pictures of is just great, uh, especially the picture that says no turtles, just pillars. So we're like a diamond-shaped square or something, I guess, that's on top of these giant pillars in a vastness of nothing. Right. And so the idea of moving non-science into scientific territory has really picked up traction, um, especially with the advent of like a lot of people propagating this both through social media as well as through YouTube videos, right? Because there's a myriad number of YouTube videos that claim to debunk a big sphere. Yes. And uh, what I alluded to before is that most of the people that uh, Tom Usher talked to at this convention came to the conclusion that the earth was flat via YouTube videos. And as we know, YouTube, for some reason, seems to love to push the conspiracy theories in its algorithm. Because they know that people will watch the entire time, right? And that's more ad revenue for everyone to share in. Exactly. That's the whole point of YouTube is to get people watching and watching more. Uh, the thing that bothers me is that there's so much actual real good stuff on YouTube, but 
the garbage seems to get pushed to the top. So one of my favorite parts of the Live Science article is apparently this wall of ice is uh, guarded by NASA employees and prevents people from climbing over and falling off the disk into presumably like outer <laughs> space. And so a lot of people believe that NASA is in on this and they're continually guarding this gigantic uh, wall of ice to uh, make sure that people uh, stay away from uh, space. Well, of course, NASA's in on it. They're the, one who keep, they're the ones who keep sending rockets up there uh, for no reason. And now... How do they explain the rockets, Brian? How do they explain all that stuff? How do they explain satellite TV? How do they explain cell phones? How do they explain anything that's up in the sky? Stars. How do we explain stars? Are those all other other flat flat Earths out there? Uh, so uh, Earth's day and night cycle um, is explained, and I'm quoting directly from the article here, by positing that the sun and moon are spheres measuring 32 miles that move in circles um, that are about 3,000 miles above the plane of the Earth. Hmm. Yeah, so it's kind of like having like, a spotlight that uh, illuminates different portions of the planet on a 24-hour cycle. Yeah, of course. Uh, it's magic, Brian. It's all magic. A lot of people actually believe, so, you know, like the idea that NASA employees are like blocking entrance to the rest of the universe so you can't climb on ice. And I don't know how they've arrived at the 150-foot wall um, measurement either. It sounds very arbitrary. All of this It's very Game of Thrones. sounds arbitrary. Um, but there's just so many things. So for example, like a lot of these, uh, and I think we discussed this in a previous episode, a lot of like flat earthers will point to a lot of NASA videos being faked because of the fact that like the alignment of the shape of earth in the moon and the stars is different without understanding the fact that like different lenses have like different depths of field and that like that's basic photography. Yeah. It's just all strange how they come to these conclusions. There's so much evidence against it that it's like arguing if the sky is blue or not. Also keep in mind that uh, there's sort of like a disagreement amongst flat earthers as to whether or not Einstein's theory of relativity actually uh, permits earth to accelerate properly or uh, not. And uh, if it can, uh, like if you could surpass the speed of light and or not. Right. So even amongst the factions of flat earthers, there exists dissent. Of course, that's how it is with everything. It's like even with uh, in ufology, there's always people that don't believe everything that's out there and some that believe everything that's out there and some that fall in the middle and get upset at everyone. I do think that the word belief is very interesting, though, and that's kind of what I want to head with this discussion is just the notion of flat earth, I think, speaks to a larger conspiracy culture that's gained a lot of validity over the past couple of years, right? So I think that you can uh, definitely agree that we live in a time where conspiracy theory culture is is probably bigger than ever, right? No, it's fake news, Brian. It's all fake news. All right, let's shut it down, boys. This is, uh, has been episode 56 of the Double Density Podcast, uh, led by two liars, apparently. Well, just the fact that there are several political parties out there. Now, we don't want to get too political, but it's like the denial that climate change is something. The, the, the evidence is staggering, yet they just, oh, well, not, the, 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 there's not enough evidence just yet. Who knows? We don't know. Couldn't, it can't be us. Maybe it's not us. Who knows? Let's just keep burning things. I think my central thesis of a lot of sort of like the the thinking and the reasoning behind this behavior is that people aim to have a certain measure of order and control over their lives, right? And the idea of a conspiracy theory offers that sort of control because they can control the narrative. They can sort of participate in a movement um, that rails against a much larger system that tries to oppress them um, in certain ways. Of course, it's a way to explain things that are not really explainable and are frustrating when you think of them 
9-11 being uh, a good example where something horribly tragic happened and you don't want it to be that it's just a bunch of terrorists learn how to fly planes and crash them into buildings and killed thousands of people. That's too sort of an easy explanation. It can't be that simple. But they create another narrative of the government causing it to do other things. And that's frustrating all around. They're like what we talked about last week with Alex Jones and his stupidity when it comes to school shootings and things like that, how he blames all that on false flags, where it's disrespectful to the people who are, who are harmed in those tragedies. And he seems to not really care. He just wants to push his stupid agenda. Right. And I think the normalization of that kind of thinking leads to a lot of um, really um, problematic things. Like, for example, you know, with this whole Kanye West thing where he comes out on Twitter and he says that slavery is a choice, et cetera, et cetera. And he um, labels himself a free thinker. And so a lot of people um, in the fringes tend to champion that sort of uh, thinking, but they don't realize how harmful it is um, to a lot of people who live their day to day in different kinds of repression and participate in a lot of systems that keep them down at the same time. So it's this like weird um, fantasy living almost, right? With social media and everything being so interconnected, it's become easier for people to spread their ideas. This is why this whole flat earth thing is coming out more so now. Like we talked about how people kind of get to it via YouTube because they get stuck in that YouTube rabbit hole and watch video after video of it. This didn't happen in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s because it wasn't as easy to disseminate that type of video information out there. So you weren't passing around VHS tapes of your thoughts every week? No, but I remember we got very excited over a uh, TLC special where they were talking about this interesting new sort of alien that was on Earth called Rods. <sighs> do you remember that we TLC special? Yes. One, uh, I definitely do. Two, we haven't brought up Rods in like 25 episodes and I thought we are going to keep it that way. But I guess that is not the case. So maybe next week will be the week we finally tackle rods. You do realize there's something else we did not bring up in this entire episode. Yes, but I don't want to make light of that because next week we'll talk about that in a, in a couple of different ways, I think. Um, but that's more of a tech thing. And we're now fully entrenched in the paranormal section. And I think coming back to what you're saying about how a lot of people learn about these things on YouTube is this kind of like weird irony in that they watch a video um, sort of like... Uh, and take it at face value, right? So the idea that they are critical thinkers, yet they accept a lot of information without actually vetting it or trying to understand the the methodology or the science behind it, right? At the same time, so it's this idea of like, I know more, but I haven't actually checked the sources on these like newest forms of information. No, there's a lack of critical thinking there. And uh, going back to things we should be teaching other people is uh, there really should be critical thinking courses in early high school. Yeah, definitely. I could, I could see that happening. I think that those need to be taught at a uh, much better level. I do remember that the, uh, in high school, there was like a media literacy class that we had to take and it just was like, you know, um, looking at different forms of advertising, but I think it's evolved to a much larger, uh, more complex series of things that we need to look at as a society, not just, you know, how people are selling to us, but the idea of how to, um, evaluate a source of information. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, I'm trying my best to kind of teach my own kids how to think critically but not everybody really tends to do that. And, you know, circling back to what I was saying before about the idea of the irony, I also think that, like, there's a very emotional response to a lot of this, right? Like, people cling to conspiracy theories such as, like, the Earth being flat because it brings them, you know, as you were saying, like, purpose, but also the idea that it brings them comfort. Yeah, and uh, he just made me think of something, how people use the word theory wrong all the time, how they think the... Uh, 
you know, theory of relativity or uh, theory of evolution is like the hypothesis of it and not theory in the sense of the scientific term, uh, that's something people have to be careful of because they'll say, oh, you know, it's a conspiracy theory. And then they'll say, well, gravity is just a theory. But no, it's not. It's a scientific theory, which is quite different. So Angela, we presented this problem, right? The idea of conspiracy theories within the context of, you know, this <laughs> flat earth convention or conference going on. Um, we've sort of touched upon the idea of media literacy as being sort of like one of the ways in which we can defeat this. Do you have any other kind of suggestions or ways in which we can sort of address these in a very rational way? Sort of like, like if your mom called you up and she's like, guess what? Watched a bunch of YouTube videos. I'm now into flat earth. Like how do you sort of like dismantle a lot of that? I will say it would be hard to do without getting flustered and upset. A lot of hand wringing. Yeah, uh, I think we should start a podcast where we talk about this stuff. We could, but then that's just self-serving because who will listen to us, you know, at the 50 plus minute mark at this point when we've had like 40 <laughs> minutes of tech talk and only really get into critical thinking skills like at like minute 40 or 45. It's such a hard topic to broach because people end up getting stuck in their ways and they don't want to listen unless it's a continuation of their echo chamber. Right. And it's like this really weird form of irrationality. And I, we all fall that to that, right? It's a, it's, we all have our own biases, but I do like to think I'm open-minded. I'm skeptical, but uh, usually when people say I'm skeptical, but open-minded, it's just that they're so open-minded that they don't really, they're not skeptical at all. But right. uh, I'd like to think I'm pretty skeptical. Sort of picking up the thread of biases, though, and this has completely nothing to do with our topic at hand, but you and I got into a bit of a heated discussion about people who watch um, or listen to podcasts on YouTube, and uh, you got very angry about this this week, and I, I kind of want to ask you why. Hugh, now you're bringing us back into tech, but I guess this is a good way to end the show. Uh, not that I get upset, it's just you had asked there me There was all should... caps, dude. You were oh, yeah. a little worked up. Well, you were asking me if we should be putting our podcast on YouTube, and I feel it's a lot more trouble than it's worth, because uh, podcasts, in their purest form, should be listened to in a podcast player of some kind. You're like the neckbeard of podcasting. Yeah, I'm like, you should be listening to podcasts on Milady, you should be listening to the podcast only through the proper avenues. I think it's just because I, I, you know, I, I've mentioned it before. I came to podcasts like 14 years ago or 13 years ago, and I used my iPod to listen to them. And that's where the name comes from. But uh, I guess it's okay. I'm, I'm starting to, I'm starting to like come around, but I can't I, my, picture so my myself whole... sitting, listening to something on YouTube. I, but I don't listen to stuff on my computer, right? I listen to stuff on my iPhone at this point, And before that it was my iPod. So my whole argument is that people consume media in different ways. So the idea that someone is listening to a podcast on YouTube is just as valid as someone listening to a podcast on Overcast at this point, as long as they get the dissemination of information that we're providing to them, I think um, the avenue by which they get it uh, doesn't exactly matter all that much either. And I, I've caught several coworkers listening to podcasts via um, YouTube on their work computers. Can you speed up podcasts on YouTube? Well, you can speed up YouTube um, videos That's in general, true. Right? Yeah, you do. Yeah, I guess. Uh, but it wouldn't sound as good as a podcast player speed up thing. I like, I, cause I listen to most of my shows at at least one and a half speed and, um, they sound fantastic, uh, with the right application, but on YouTube, I don't know if it would work properly. Who knows? Google seems to kind of know what they're doing. The uh, hubris coming off of you at the moment is uh, prickly. Look, all I know is I'm stuck in my ways. It's like the same people that like refuse to listen to CDs or MP3s and only listen to vinyl. I guess so, but I... <sighs> I do not want to become a podiophile. 
And I get what you're you're coming from, but at the same time, like you're making that fallacy that you equals everyone, right? I 100% agree with you. I'm completely in the wrong in this, and I'm not. I'm saying that uh, sincerely. I know I'm wrong. I know that I listen to the podcast a certain way. It astounds me when I look at our stats and see in all the different ways people listen to it. It's like there's somebody out there listening to this podcast on a Windows phone. Yes, and whoever that is, thank you. Uh, yeah, you've given us this uh, thing to think about. I mean, they'll eventually switch to Android or iOS, but uh, at this point, they're listening to us on a Windows phone, and it's it's astounding to me that people listen to us on Linux and uh, Windows. Well, Windows, lots of people still on Windows, but it's just the thing. Um, in the many hours I listen to of podcasts, I can pretty much say it's under three or four hours. I've listened to a podcast on a computer. How did you... In total, like this is in the last 15 years. So I got a question for you then in that case, and it kind of ties everything together. How did you watch the Alex Jones episode of the Joe Rogan podcast? I listened to it. Um, oh, I see. You did not see the moving pictures and no, the camaraderie no, no. between the two men. Oh. No, no, I did not watch it. I listened to it on, That's on, too my, on my podcast application of choice. So you and your feelings about podcasting aren't so far away from a lot of these like... um uh, conspiracy theory people. You realize that, right? Like the, there's the irrationality and you agree with this and that's fine. The difference the is I'm self-aware. Yes. Absolutely. I know. I completely know that there are other people out there that listen to podcasts in totally different ways and it's totally fine by me. It's just, I don't understand how they can. It's so much more convenient to listen on a phone or, uh, uh, an iPod's not convenient at this point, but uh, the most convenient and, in my opinion, proper way to listen to podcasts is via uh, an, a phone of some kind, an, uh, an Android or iOS device. But you do realize that like our very website is a web player, right? So you're kind of I, cutting off part of the people no, on here. No, I know. I'm totally wrong. I am wrong. I know this. And it's to- I'm totally fine. I know people that listen to our podcast on our website, and our website's great because Fireside gives you uh, different speeds as well to listen to it. And it's it works really well. Their web player is fantastic. It's great. True story, though. If you go back to below 1x, we sound way sexier at a deeper volume, right? I was talking to, uh, well, via Twitter, uh, to Tyler, talking about our imminent meeting. And uh, he was saying to me, he's like, uh, it'll be weird to meet each other in person. And he'll he's going to ask the question, why are you talking so slow? <laughs> That's a very good point, actually. So, Angelo, to sum things up, it seems like in this segment, you are the troll. Look at that. Just wrapped it up. In a little a bow. Little a little bow. tiny bow. Uh, we, listeners, we would love to hear your thoughts on any of these subjects. So I'm going to kind of like go through them. So like, what do you think about conspiracy culture? Do you believe any conspiracy theories? How willing are you to sit down and listen to opposing points of view about conspiracy culture? Uh, we're super fascinated to hear from you. If you want to come on, actually, we'd love to have you on to talk about any of this, right? Well, yeah, we, I, look, there's at least one person who's listening to the show that, uh, believes in a few conspiracies and he was a guest recently. So there we go. <laughs> Hi, TJ. Hi, TJ. Uh, he's, uh, we're kind of cooking up another episode with him. That's going to be very yeah, interesting in the next couple of months. Um, and so apart from the conspiracy theory stuff, if you are a person who listens uh, to podcasts, um, on YouTube or any other sort of like web player, we'd love to hear your thoughts as to why you do that on there instead of, um, a podcasting app. And you're always- with us because our podcast is not on YouTube. Right. Do you want us to be on YouTube? We'd love to hear from people who want us on YouTube because I'm willing to do the legwork because Angelo clearly isn't. Look, um, if, if I picture you with your arms crossed right now. No, not at all. And I was going to say a small amount. If even 10 people write to us and say they want this podcast on YouTube, we'll put it on YouTube. 
So it's the drive to 10 for YouTube. Right, I'll put it on YouTube. Exactly, exactly. Uh, So, you know, contact us. Go ahead. You can contact us through Twitter at double underscore density. You can hit us up facebook.com slash double density podcast. Same thing on Instagram. You can head over to double density.net and click on the contact tab in order to send us an email. You can also uh, find Angelo and I on Twitter on our own account. So I'm Brian Hasty, H-E-S-T-I-E, Angelo's Angelo Fioran, sort of like uh, a portion of his full name because he doesn't want to disclose uh, yeah, who he is to the public. Yeah, no, it's no not idea. like if you go to my Twitter profile, my name and stupid face are there. <laughs> Uh, yeah, if you want to go ahead and tweet at him about Flat Earth, please do so. I would love no. to do that. I would love to see people harass you about Flat Earth for days on end. But yeah, go ahead. Contact us. We'd love to hear from uh, from you about any number of these subjects, right? I mean, we're always open to discussion. We're not irrational people. Well, except for you and how people use your tech. You get very angry in all caps real fast. Well, you got upset at somebody on Twitter this week, so there we go. I did. I did. And I kind of want to bring that up, right? So the idea of, you know, people who tweeted us without actually paying attention to what we're talking about. Um, so we had a, a Twitter user come at us and say that all of, quote unquote, Apple's, you know, uh, oddly enough, plural um, products are uh, of a garbage quality. And you and I felt the need to sort of get in, step in. And we were very rational, I think. Yeah, I think you just you, you cut right to the chase and said, I, I, I what did you say something about somebody who doesn't. Uh, oh, somebody who has that many typos, uh, doesn't you know, sure has some big opinions. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think that some people fail to understand that I spend a lot of my teenage years um, being a troll myself. So there we go. I've revealed myself to be a troll too. Everyone's a troll here on Double Density. Um, but, you know, arguing on the internet is nothing new to me. So I'm very willing to do that very easily. He is, folks. He really is. I have to dial down my troll tendency sometimes when it comes to the show too. And it's, it's very bad. I have to work through it. I enjoy it. It's part of your personality. <laughs> the idea of me confronting people in odd ways is enjoyable to you as a bystander. Well, no, just between the, you and I, the way you kind of troll me on the show, it's fun. That's true. But you're very loving, accepting, and, and that makes you a good co-host. Because I feel like you're very much the, like, the best straight man I could ever ask for. Yeah, I was going to say, I am the straight man in this. Yeah, no, definitely. If this were com- like a comedic duo for real, you'd be the straight man and I'd be the weird, uh, insane one who's talking about, you know, dogs breathing fire on you. Yeah. Thanks for the nightmare fuel. Good news though. Let's, uh, let's just like, let's just wrap things up here before I start rambling even more. So this has been it for episode 56 of the double Nenti podcast. Tune in next week as we discuss whatever we want, right, Angela? Because this is an open and free forum. We can talk about flat earth. We can talk about the holographic universe. We may even talk about our favorite cryptid sexy fan fiction. Yeah, nobody can come after us. The patent trolls have been neutralized. So there we go. We're free to do as we wish. And you continue, Angelo, to be uh, the straight man to everyone on the internet, I feel like. I think I'm, I'm pretty polite on, on Twitter and stuff like that. I, I, like, I, like, I have my persona. I don't swear on Twitter. I'm very nice. Uh, all is well. I feel like I use a lot more caps on there. But hey, that's what makes life interesting. That and, of course, Flat Earth. And with that, Angelo, I will see you next week. See you, Brian. Goodbye from the ice wall. A series of ways in which to uh, can I just cut that out? I don't fucking know what patents are succinctly. Sorry. <laughs>